You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast, guys. This week, we're actually covering something that wasn't relevant for a few years, uh, and now it kind of is again, and we've touched on it briefly in the last couple episodes. And that's basically what happens now as far as maintaining, managing, running, etc., whatever you can call it, yep. the buy list. Mm -hmm. Be it at the LGS level, be it at a show, be it at an online level if you take advantage of TCG's buy list program or, or whatever the case would be. Uh, so, with that said, let's take it away. So this is dovetailing out of our episode last week. And we, we thought that with the return of format seasons, this is a good time to discuss how things work at the vendor and the LGS level. And the cool part about the vendor level is that everything just kind of maintains now that we're in paper play and we're in seasons. My buy list on the website generally is going to mirror my buy list in person at shows. And instead of just referencing our website, I'm going to pull down a file and I'm just going to be able to search it when I'm there. And what might be different is if we know we're going to an area of the country where there, let's say, we'll look at Star City, Dallas. When they go to Dallas, they can expect that there's going to be a lot of aggressive players in the format and they make their decisions to what they're going to pay and even play based on that. And so we'll do a little bit of monitoring that way. But aside from that, we just kind of float along using our website as our main driver. The big difference between what was happening before during lockdown and now is that we do have this opportunity to sell to people playing paper and not just commander that was that was fine before and that's how we modeled our buy lists that's yeah what was driving everything now we actually get to go back and review and say okay we need to restock modern and restock pioneer because those numbers dropped on our buy list, not just in terms of quantity, which is reflective of the fact that people weren't buying modern staples anymore, but also in terms of price, because we know people weren't really going to be selling what they could use coming out of it. And with no real demand for other modern staples, a lot of modern players aren't going to trade, thing like, trade things like their Blood Moons and Magus of the Moons in their Primeval Titans for you know, just commander cards. They want to see modern stock, but they'll get around to that when they can play modern again. So yeah. we just kind of juice everything at this point in time. And we might run that a little high now with the expectation of modern season forthcoming at some point. Um, the minutia of what we do, I can get into later. But like I said, from a top level vendor perspective, this is, we're back to the way things were before. We yeah. are operating purely as a demand-driven entity and our customers and their kind of consumer profile will determine what our buy list looks like. 
Yeah, and I think one of the biggest differences between this as normal as opposed to pre-pandemic as normal was you don't have the circuits yet that you did then because one of the boosts you got from star city coming to an area near you was well if they're coming you know because they'd announce it three months at a time uh oh well they're going to be here in two and a half months and it's going to be modern well i should probably make my modern numbers a bit more aggressive so i can cater to that clientele because Mm -hmm. and i know i'm not the only one that did this i know plenty of other players and vendors that did this too one of the first things you would do is oh you know i got in a day early let's hit up the local stores yes yeah see what they have singles wise what's going on for fnm if you get there on thursday what they've got going on thursdays and having that inventory was just a nice value to be able to present to people coming in from out of town because as we touched on you know in the last couple of episodes that's a good marketing opportunity for you yeah Um, And not having that has been something that's been very interesting to see because while numbers from what I've seen are still getting aggressive at like a local store level, uh, they're not as aggressive because you don't have these large circuits coming around. It's still the feeder system Mm -hmm. where you've got your RCQ and then you get to go to your regional championship where you have to buy a badge to get into an event you've already qualified for. Um, It was digital, not paper. Uh, but I, I think that's been something that's been very interesting. And the other thing is, I think part of that plays into, you know, when we talk about seasons, the whole origin of seasons was literally when Star City Games was like, hey, uh, we're running modern right now. We want to run Legacy later. Yeah. So let's pump up all our Legacy bride prices now so they're really good. Mm-hmm. But then when legacy season comes around, we're paying those same numbers and other people have to match us or compete and not having that element to it has kind of made it a little different for people to be able to come out and say, hey, uh, I, you know, I can be more aggressive with my numbers. And that's been I think that is the biggest difference between normal now and normal then. Yeah. Uh, The other interesting thing has been you know, which we touched on at least at the LGS level, this has been my experience, is I can't keep my buy list numbers high enough on Pioneer Mm -hmm. and find an equilibrium of now I have the cards in stock and I'm still able to make money on them. Because demand locally has surged so much for this stuff that it's become much more of a like, okay, I want to curate my buy list to this season. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't do it now because we're in pioneer season and the demand is like, I can't charge, you know, above a certain amount or they'll just go to TCG player for it. But I also can't pay so much that I don't make any money. Yeah. And it's this weird equilibrium. So it's gotten a lot more, you know, cause there's a number of LGSs across the country that are fairly hand to mouth on that stuff. Uh, one of, on, everything really and especially singles so it's become much more of let me find the margins where i can on edh cards because i can sell those year round and then be aggressive enough on that stuff that it opens the binder so it's a lot more i need to get into the binder and from there i can pay normal numbers and get there i see what you're saying Uh, yeah and and that's been one of the changes that you know and maybe your experience was different 
before that wasn't how it was. Uh, if you wanted the pioneer stuff, you had to have the best pioneer numbers because people would shop around. Yes. Not really the case as much anymore. So that's been very interesting about buyless maintenance at the LGS level is you used to be able to do like, well, you know, we've got a good, you know, event in a month and a half. Let's bump our buy list on the stuff that's relevant for that event. It's not really the case anymore. Yeah. Uh, from what I've seen. So that's that's been very interesting. You're to kind see of that curating develop. a large hot list at that point. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. the overhead involved with that is absurd as yeah. an LGS. You just can't profitably do that at all. Yeah. Which is different than, than the vendor because my hot list is what's selling ridiculously on my website and I have products and categories I need to fill. And I, I know my margins relatively well enough to say that I can pay up to, you know, 75, 80% and I'm still making enough and filling those holes is yep. more on the website is more important than making 15, 20%. It's making sure that yeah. there's more product for people to buy because it's kind of the inverse on prem. I want to get into the binder on the yeah. website. I want to get into the wallet. So I need to yeah. have enough products on the website for people to want to crack their wallet. That's why the associative products display strands, you know, the popular items uh, you see on Amazon, that thing is uh, kind of, I don't want to say like one of the most interesting and like best possibles for yeah. a vendor website, but being able to pocket things together and remind players like, hey, if you're looking for this, we also have A, B, and C, yep. you know because they're not zeros we we've filled those holes but one of yeah. the things i think i'm able to do a lot better as a vendor is maintain quantity on slow churning cards this was a, a very long and drawn out discussion when you're looking at sales velocity and you want to buy to sales velocity you do so at the kind of like the kind of behest of those things that don't churn quickly so that means you could wind up with zeros for dual lands you could wind yep. up with zeros for power zeros for demonic vampiric etc these core cards to multiple formats yeah but as a vendor i can enforce my buy list to maintain an opening for those cards and i can pick them up either via the website or i can do that in prim i imagine as an lgs something that is a lot harder when you you know not just that you have to make your margins but you're like you have to crack the binder to find those cards and they require in the case of duels and power a lot of overhead investment that might not be there however they might not also be the same kind of nicety that the vendor website or case really needs to be yeah and I, I think that's been one of the other factors that I've started to see play into some LGSs is mentioning needing to get the binder open. Uh, the thing with a lot of LGSs is if you're not traveling to these events, you're kind of static on what you can acquire. You know, there's only so many players in your local area that are going to bring you singles. And a lot of times, you know, they may not be one of those guys that has here's, you know, my modern gauntlet or one of those gals that has here's my legacy gauntlet. Yeah. You know, where it's like, all right, this is I've got all of these cards. So I think something I've started to see stores use for the better is mentioning an online buy list is stores that may not have their own website have started using the TCG buy list. Mm -hmm. um, and something that 
it, it's been very interesting is one of the stores, what they've done is they use the TCG buy list exclusively for those one to five dollar EDH staples. Your talismans, your soul rings, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Because what they've actually been able to do is in getting those EDH binders open, uh, what they've done is actually provide more of this small and mid-range EDH stuff that every player needs for every deck. Yep. Because you may not need a volcanic for every deck, but you're probably going to need, you know, Fetchlands. You'll probably need a Soul Ring. You'll probably need a Demonic Tutor or a Diabolic Tutor, stuff like that. So by using the TCG buy list for that, they've actually been able to curate an in-stock inventory in the site that's enabled them to have players come in, even regulars at other stores, that are basically hearing, hey, if you need some, like, chaff for yeah. EDH, this is the store to go to. And what they've actually been able to do is leverage that into better inventory in store by using the buy list. Because, the, you know, you may have 300 EDH players, you know, that are regulars at your store. And they're going to constantly be making new decks. They're probably not selling you all their soul rings and mana vaults, but they definitely need all the soul rings and mana vaults you can get. Yeah. And that's something that I've actually been very glad to see is despite all the flaws of the TCG buy list, seeing stores actually be able to use that to help make ends meet and survive and maintain an inventory mm -hmm. and more importantly, a player base. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's been crucial, I think, through everything because, you know, it's not exactly raining money out here for magic sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what we were doing for a while with Cardsphere. We were able to yeah. use Cardsphere as essentially a bialist to churn in, you know, mm -hmm. popular EDH, EDH cards when we still had, you know, Wode on the show. Yeah. And yeah, it was very good. Yeah. And Car Cardsphere is still great for that. It's yeah. just the limit to that ecosystem. There are more people on the TCG player ecosystem that allows you just a better opportunity to go fish there. Otherwise, Cardsphere is still a perfectly primulent option for something like that. Yeah. Um, now, the, the buy list at the LGS level is still done by hand. Yeah. Right? And yeah. is that like a daily update? So it's kind of interesting. So it's a daily update in some regards. Uh, you're constantly, as the meta changes, as you know, a pro posts a tweet about a new deck, which will dovetail into my pick later, uh, when stuff like that happens and you expect, okay, this is going to be a thing. This is going to be good. Uh, that's when it's kind of like, okay, I need to pay attention to this every day. Uh, other than that, you don't really do a lot of upkeep. You know, it's not like there's buyouts happening on fetch lands. There's buyouts happening on mana vault. You know, when buyouts happen, it's random stuff that you don't necessarily need. You know, when we hit Hatred, when we hit Pendrel Mists, you know, stuff like that that gets bought out, Glacial Crevasses, you know, there's all these things where it's, okay, well, that's that doesn't really count. Yeah. That's not a not a thing. Yeah, your LGS uh, isn't going to restock those. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. So that, that stuff you don't necessarily have to pay as much attention to. The, the other thing that plays into the daily maintenance is basically, okay, what do I have for, you know, my inventory counts compared to what I want my minimums to be? Uh, if I have minimums, some shops don't have the luxury of, I want this minimum. Yeah. And then okay. some shops are like, look, we need four of every fetch land. We need four of every shock. 
we need an amount of duels, but we don't need them all. Let's just try to have them in the case to look good. Case candy, yeah. Yeah, the case candy, which is still super important despite everything. Uh, and that's been kind of the maintenance that I've seen going on that I've had to deal with is, okay, what do our inventory levels look like? Do I need to hit a little bit more aggressively? And then the other thing is, how is my buy list published? So oh, at okay. least locally, what a lot of stores have done is if they don't have a website, there's discords, there's Facebook groups, there's whatever. And they'll post, hey, you know, here's our hot list for the week. Uh, there's one store that I work with that literally in their discord, it is weekly hot list is the tab and it's Monday's magic, Wednesday's Yu-Gi-Oh, Friday's Pokemon. And it goes until the next week. And it's literally, these are our cash numbers. This is published and it's, you know, maybe a couple hundred people in their discord, but that's still a good reach. Yeah. Uh, and then it's that way you're not just beholden to word of mouth on in store. And if you have a buy list, how are you email blasting or whatever the case is on your website? And that's been, I think, the most important thing that I've noticed is if a shop has a good way to leverage buy list publication, it goes significantly better for them. Because it's exposure, exposure, exposure. And you need to be able to get exposure for your buy list. And if you can't, well, that's kind of a problem then. Yeah, then you're just stuck with your locals that... Know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It, it's interesting to hear that there's not a lot of maintenance done uh, kind of on the day-to-day. -day. And I expect ahead of an event that isn't an FNM, something you schedule for the weekends, you, regardless of the game, you're going to do a little bit of tweaking either for something on-prem... Yeah. ...or to bring in foot traffic. Like, that would yeah. be your breakout... Yeah, that, that would be your breakout, is how can I get in foot traffic, especially right now? And this kind of dovetails into what we touched on a couple of episodes ago, is, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to try to start firing Pioneer on X night of the week. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drive foot traffic there in some other way. Okay. Okay, let me publish my buy list for Pioneer, or my hot list, and there's Pioneer cards on it, and then, boom, on the same post, Pioneer is this day. And that way you're kind of twofold driving traffic into the building. It's not just, hey, you know, our buy list is really good. It's also, hey, if you want to play this format, guess what? We've got you covered. Yeah. You know, you can come in and buy list is here. We're paying good numbers on this stuff. It'll be good for everyone. Yeah. And that's been something else that I've seen a lot of stores try to adopt because, you know, as I touched on a couple episodes ago, some stores are struggling to fire Pioneer despite it being season. Mm -hmm. So, and there's two ways you do that. It's either buy list or you make the payout better. And I personally believe the better way to do it is by buy list than by making the payout better. Because it's just like going to an event, right? You make your money on buys. You don't make your money on sales. So going to this event or hosting an event and having people come in and sell us cards makes us more money than hosting a 60 card constructed event and giving out more prizes yeah it's like it's who do you want to incentivize kind of we talked about this before with a yeah. better with a better prize pool you're going to incentivize your grinders your spikes to come in and play the event and that's great you still want them in the store you absolutely don't, you don't want to belittle that player profile but they don't if they are not your regular 
they don't help you make your margins and you need no. to work with your regulars who support you to make your margins and by kind of pushing away the idea of the spike and the spike and like the uh, environment for spikes you make the event a little more inclusive for your regular players your non-grinders for people who just want to come in and play an event on the weekend because they're in the area etc yeah and it and both are fine yeah nothing both. wrong with either uh going either direction better payout or better vialist here yeah um, i i just personally have seen better results that again your results may vary yep. because there isn't there's no this is one of those things where there's no blanket answer right it's yeah exactly it's different strokes for different folks i had the opportunity yeah. to play in a number of fnm event a number of stores fnms when i, I was still on prime as a vendor and i went to when i asked people which fnm they played in the tournament grinders chose the one who allows you to roll your store credit back into yep. uh, event payment. Yeah. So I think I paid for two FNMs total in exactly. my span of like, like a year-ish playing there. And yep. then I walked out, like my last FNM there, I walked out with Snapcasters, Geist of St. Traffs. I basically just re uh, built Blue White Delver. I had enough yeah. overhead. And that worked for them. That model did yeah. what they needed it to every store is different like that so I, we are not here to say like this is the way you gotta do it like you gotta understand your regulars yeah and, and if your regulars are those grinders great yeah you cater gotta, the event to them yep exactly you know you gotta figure out how to get them in store yeah the the one thing i like though about the vialist and the the fact that it's still kind of like human uh, done by human hand is that's very similar to the end of life for bios creation at the vendor level there's a lot of checks and balances that go into place to create a buy list on the even the daily level if you do it multiple times a day like some vendors do you still have a human sign off at the end mm -hmm. because they need to make sure everything looks right you can trust all your numbers you can trust your uh, algorithms and data modeling but the one thing you need is just that verification because sometimes maybe one of your holds doesn't work. So I mentioned you don't want to have zeros on your website and maybe they catch a hold on a duel because, you know, your unlimited or your beta fell off. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, if they catch that. The other thing it offers them the ability to do is get into the system on the back end and modify things by hand when necessary, which does happen, which is something we just talked about and something that I got to experience in real time. Pro Tour Dark Ascension goes off, Hunt Master of the Fell, the hunt master of the fells just starts going up and up and up and this was one of a handful of mythics that we chose not to release our entire quantity we released them four or eight at a time yeah and that was a choice made by our magic specialists at the time because they held everything from that set the same way they said they they thought this was a set that was going to change the format so they kept the planeswalkers yep. and a number of key mythics uh in a kind of drip release and they had to hand modify the quantities being displayed but also hand modify the price which means that also hand modified the buy list because we were running a percentage on it yeah for, the, for those cards for standard sets we didn't run through any kind of uh, additional uh, algorithmic uh, functions it was literally just percentage because of the standard set yeah and from Friday through Sunday, they adjusted it until we were out of stock. Yeah. And I, I think that's something that, you know, when you mentioned the human elements, something, you know, little P 
peel the screen back, I guess, for another perspective. Uh, one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is when there are sites that say we reserve the right to approve or deny any buy list, right? So what happens, and this was the way Mini did it, was you submit a buy. Mm -hmm. Okay, you submit it on Monday. Yep. On Tuesday, three of the cards get banned. Okay, well, when it shows up, obviously we're not paying you the number that we agreed to on Monday because a human has to go through this and double check it because, like you said, your algorithms can say whatever they want because our quantity is this. So unless we log in, and this was something that was very common you know, with new set releases, mm -hmm. obviously – Okay, well, Modern Horizons 2 would have been a great example. Obviously, a huge impact on the metagame. Bunch of cards became completely invalid. Bunch of cards spiked in price. Cool. We're going to hold our buy lists on this. And as they come in, we'll verify, okay, these are in. Hey, this number changed. Yes. Because the algorithm obviously didn't know this card was banned. Mm -hmm. Or that this card got unbanned all of a sudden. And now these cards are spiking. So that's something that I think is very important in not just, you know, the larger vendor level, but the LGS level as well, is you need to make sure you have that human element as kind of a catch-all. Yeah. Just have that guy that you can trust, that he'll check it, like you said. Where are the holes in our inventory? Where are we kind of getting got right now? Mm -hmm. Because, look... We all love vendors when we can buy cards from them. But at the end of the day, we're not going to be mad about Star City or Card Kingdom or whatever vendor overpaying a little bit. That's more money in our pocket. What do we care? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of that actually goes back to the episode we did about the life cycle of a card and how it enters the business, both the LGS and the vendor standpoint. And what you have to understand is that every card comes in in a scrum. And while it's in a scrum, that scrum is unique. There are more scrums behind it. And yep. if something spikes suddenly and a vendor is buying 40 copies and you have 15 of them, you're not the only one. Yeah. You know, you're going to enter that scrum and it's going to be first in, first out, based on either uh, order number or order receive time, whatever they're using. Yeah. And people will get bumped either in price or they will get their cards back. Like you mentioned, this is not uncommon. It's something that happens all the time because as a vendor, you you know explicitly what you're selling and mm -hmm. in what time period. You have all the logistics in front of you. And that's why I think it is ABU that I think winds down their buy prices in yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, so even if they're buying something at several hundred copies, after that's fulfilled, if they know they can still buy it, it just winds down. Yep. It's just a, another percentage off of what it was previously. You can wait for them to sell out, and they'll go back up. And that, that's how their buy list operates. Some people just shut it off completely or drop the number to something so low until stock you know, plateaus, drops down long enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry, low enough for them to go back and raise the price yeah and that's it's funny you mentioned abu because mtg seattle does the same thing and one of the interesting things that mtg seattle does is when card kingdom spikes their buy prices mtg seattle tries to be just a little bit higher huh. 
which has always been very interesting to me because that kind of speaks to the at the LGS level because yes, they're both like nationally established brands, but they're also like 30 minutes from each other. Yeah, yeah. So it you know speaks to that at the LGS level, you've got to know your clientele and know what you're dealing with and market to them. Yes. Um, because as your inventory winds down on something, to your point, can I afford to increase my buy price the way that some of the other algorithmic companies can do? Am I actually going to sell this in store? And that's been something that's always been interesting is to see the play between stores and a local market. Uh, you know, here there's actually a store that opened up uh, half a mile down from another one. So very blatantly, we're in your territory. We're here to compete. Mm -hmm. uh, and seeing how their buy lists and what they've paid have played off of each other. And I think that's, you know, again, the human element is so important to that because it ensures that I am able now to, okay, oversee that and make sure there's not as, there's no mistakes if I can get away with it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the, the last thing I want to touch on is something you mentioned up top and that I kind of danced around. When it comes to going to events, I don't get a dedicated buy list. I pull down list off the website, so my numbers uh, will never drop from yep. the buy list on site, unless for whatever reason, while I'm out in transit, the buy list numbers go up. That is yeah. the only time they'll be different. Now, generally what happens is we know what cards we get at shows. That is something that's cataloged on the back yeah. end. And we know what we're get what we usually get through buy list. We will put certain things on the buy list at a higher price, and that essentially becomes the hot list things we need to bring back for the website because we're just not getting them through the online buy list. And it could be for any format; it doesn't matter. Uh, duels, it could path to exile; it doesn't matter. Yeah, anything whatever that it we is. can, yeah, anything that we can't keep in stock or we just can't get in stock via the buy list we will put on our show lists and we will ensure that we can bring in you know a good enough number of copies to get us to the next event yeah. and that'll just kind of be the stock from there yeah i think one of the interesting things at the vendor level too is you've got that method of buy listing and then there's the okay we're gonna hot list what we hot list that's gonna be the hot list throughout the week yeah uh and 95 is great about that the number is the number is the number on their hot list other things, though, they do give their buyers a little bit of discretion of, okay, we know what we can sell in-house. Mm -hmm. We know what we can sell in the website. Do we really want to position as much into, I don't know, Renin 6? Or is there a point where we're like, okay, we want to take a little bit less. Yeah, We want to buy a little bit less now. Let's get a little bit less. Mm -hmm. uh, prime example was Dockside Extortionist. Uh, Commander Legends 2 came out, and a bunch of sites uh, and vendors were like, oh man, it's not in Commander Legends 2, we're getting Dockside Extortionists. So there were vendors at the Star City Commander Legends 2 pre-release, whatever that was, that were basically saying, hey look, we're going to pay 45 bucks on this card. Because if it doesn't get printed again, it's going to go to the moon. And then of course we got it in Double Masters, which whatever uh but it held its price and that's been kind of the interesting thing because obviously as a vendor you think you're going to take a bath on that you know it gets reprinted and we're going to lose 20 dollars a copy on here uh was not the case but that's been one of the other interesting things is the adjustable hot list 
that happens at some vendors where it's okay. This is our number. We're not going to publish it, but we're paying real well on it. Oh, okay. The the other one I go to in terms of the we're lowering our number is the stupid convention cards, like Sliv Mizzet with the Planeswalker oh, symbol. Oh, the mystery booster stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I remember when those came out. Like people were paying sixty to seventy percent on those cards, and now you're lucky to get ten to fifteen percent. Because there's so many more convention boosters coming out at every SCG con, at every NRG, all of these side events that it's like, okay, well, I, one, this card isn't nearly as liquid as it was during the pandemic. Yep. And two, the value has cratered compared to what it used to be. Uh, and that's been another value of the human element of the hot list is we're hot listing this down, I guess, you know, but shit list. Yeah. This is the stuff I don't want. Yeah, but I'll make an offer. I'm not going to be happy about the yes. offer, and neither are you, but I'll make it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that is that is like the one thing I definitely dislike is having to make the offer, but I will do it anyway. It happened at, um, I don't know if I told this, this anecdotal story, at the uh, DMU pre-release I was vending. We had the same price for every version of bronze karn yeah regardless of uh, styling or yeah. condition if you want to call it that foil not stained glass not doesn't matter and somebody had a stained glass promo and they asked me how much would you buy this for and i said it's not worth your time asking me it's the same as the said yep. non-foil yeah and that's not what they wanted to hear yeah. And it sucks when it happens because that's the equivalent of opening, you know, one of the lands. Yeah. As your promo. But I will always do my best to answer that question and not make them feel like the dirt worst. It just happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's they they want to hear their card is worth more than it is. Yeah. Uh well, um, unfortunately, I've got some bad news for you. Sorry, friend. Yeah. On to picks. Let's do it. Right. You want to go first? I will take it away. Right. So I mentioned earlier uh, that this would dovetail into my tweet about pros tweeting, etc., etc. Uh, so if you've been paying attention not only to Andrea Mangucci's Twitter, thanks, Mengu, but any of the competitive like pro-level players recently, uh, one thing that has been popping up in Modern again and again and again is... 2014-ish Scapeshift. Uh, so my pick is Morningtide Scapeshift. Why, might you ask, is this deck doing so well? Well, it turns out that Scapeshift does really well against the two best decks in the modern format. Those being Yorian Blink with Omnath and Elementals with Omnath. Maybe Omnath is the problem with the modern metagame, but that's for another episode. Anyways... We have kind of an opportunity here because we're currently leading up to Pioneer season yes. in November. Yep. And after that, modern-ish. Or standard. May, yeah, Pioneer or yes. and then standard. Yeah. Pioneer and then standard. Yep. But modern is still firing at the NRG level. It's firing at the Star City level. It's firing here at the local level. I assume most places it's firing at the local level. But everyone complains about Omnath. Well, if you have a way to beat the Omnath decks, which just so happen to be the two best decks in the format, 
you're going to start taking advantage of that. So seeing this tweet from Mengu, you know, basically remains back. Here's a bunch of decks in the top eight challenge. There's a bunch of decks in the 5-0 that are all just various flavors of scapeshift. Uh, why would you not want that opportunity? Now, in terms of timeline, this one's going to be interesting because we don't have a modern Pro Tour season for a bit yet. Uh, so you may be waiting a little. Now, the thing that's kind of nice is we're about to head into the holidays. And as we've mentioned dozens of times uh, on the podcast, the holidays generally tend to see a little bit of a lull in prices of magic because people unload their cards to basically go back and buy, you know, gifts for people, whatever the case is. Uh, now, we are seeing, as of today, a little bit of a surge on Scapeshift along with this publicity. That's fine. If you take a look at when Scapeshift was all over Modern, now this is before the creator, we're going to go a little bit further back to 2016, when it first started taking over the meta. We hit a $30 to $40 price tag on Morningtide. Obviously, it was in Core 19 since then. That's when it cratered originally because of the print run. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm not saying we get back to the $50, $60 that it was in 2017, 2018, but I could certainly see us getting back to the $30 to $35 range for this card, uh, at which point, great. Right now, retail is about 20 You can probably get them on Facebook from locals, whatever, for $15, 16 uh, I wouldn't be surprised if TCG reaching 35 or sorry, like 30 35 40 doesn't push a card kingdom buy list to $30 and then you're still making a 50% margin on it. Yep. The only question again is timeline. So I would expect with us going into the holidays. So you'll see a little bit of a dip in price, uh, coming out of that. The interesting thing is going to be, what do we get from other tournament organizers and from the pro tour? I would expect an announcement sometime mid to late Q1 from Wizards, if not sooner. And when that happens, as we wind down in standard season, I anticipate we'll see a modern all of a sudden, and that's when we see this card spike. So late Q1, early Q2, 23, it is a little bit of a time to hold. Now, quantity-wise... This is a card you want in force. You don't want an EDH playset. You just want a playset because every single deck that is going to run this card is going to run four of this card unless they're cutting one for Bring Delight. Either way, four is the way to go. And I think, honestly, I'd probably go for maybe two to three playsets if I'm just vending locally. Okay. Uh, Just because of price for one. Uh, at the same price point as it is now, around 20 bucks. I mean, fetch lands are like 25. I'd rather go deep on fetch lands than scape shift, but I would be fine holding two to three sets of this and waiting for that late Q1, Q2 window when we get some kind of announcement about pro play. When Star City announces, okay, now that we have data from these events, let's go a little bit harder into this. Uh, let's try to get XYZ done. Once NRG says, you know what, we want to go a little bit bigger. We've been doing this for a couple of years now. We've got our feet under us. Let's try to be the next big thing. And that is when I would expect to be able to profitably buy list this. Okay. Uh, just because 
timeline wise it would make a lot of sense uh, and it is tied to mostly competitive play uh, especially because you know locally the players that want this card are probably going to get it in the next couple of weeks so you may have missed your boat on being able to off them in mass locally unless it's someone that's just like yeah i'll put it together if i get it yep but just my two cents. I think it's a decent pickup, and I think it's one of those things that forces you to pay attention to content creators in a way that you normally wouldn't, uh, because paying attention to the pro scene is suddenly relevant again. Yeah. Now that we have a pending pro tour, now that we have competitive play from multiple venues, not or multiple angles, not just Wizards of the Coast, but Star City, but NRG, and seeing this stuff sort of all coalesce in its... I don't know, would you call this a second infancy of competitive play or 40th at this point with how many times they've rewritten it? Whatever you want to call it. Getting back to this nascent stage of here's competitive magic again. Let's see its impact on finance. Yeah. No, I I like it. I It's... This card has a... an important part to play for me in modern... Um, <laughs> If we go back to the to the stocks graph, we're not, yeah. and we look back at 2016, we're not just seeing a card that spiked because Bring to Light was in uh, Oath of the Gatewatch and made the Teamer version of Scapeshift a decent play, but we're also seeing uh, a card that became a pillar of a second Primeval Titan strategy. So you had in Modern, not Amulet and Scapeshift, but you had Primeval Titan decks. And there yep. are multiple decks to play. Right now, there is not. There is one Primeval Titan deck to play. Instead, we have Omnath decks. Yeah. And the resurgence of the Primeval Titan deck kind of brings us back to a point in modern where I think the format feels a little bit better. Scapeshift can be a turn, an honest turn four combo deck. It can play a late game. It's pretty healthy for the format overall. Yeah. It is a lot more approachable than Amulet because there are not a lot of puzzles to figure out. Yeah. And I think it's a really good bastion for the format to have in the big mana space or the, the deck that just likes to play a land. So you don't have to watch somebody fiddle fart with their ephemerate and eternal witness for 45 minutes trying to look for a win. It is pretty cut and dry what happens. Uh, what we're seeing here, though, in this version of the deck is there's no pri there's, that there are no primal titans and wants to play a little bit of a longer game, which is a version of Scapeshift we have not seen in a while. I think that is more bring to light style where both pre and post Jace the Mind Sculptor, you were just looking to base to just kind of nat draw your lands and just play a, a tempo based game like that. Yeah, and I think something that's added to that when you mentioned primeval titan decks is I think Ren has kind of taken that slot away. Yeah. You you no longer are looking to shotgun somebody for eighteen on turn four or turn five with with your prime yeah. titan uh, powered up scape shift or you're just like nut draw ramp spells yeah you're just looking to play an honest game that eventually gets you to scape shift your opponent out and and pick up a win there and i think this is an appealing deck for a lot of players who want to both enter the format and play something with kind of a pedigree behind it yeah this is a good deck we talked uh before the cast about the uptick in merfolk and what i said i don't think a lot of people realize one of the, the powers of that deck 
just like goblins and elves, is that with their new lords, if you go back to a lord-heavy build for goblins and you stay with your lord-heavy build of merfolk, they have a decent game against Omnath. Omnath yep. runs mountains, goblins walk right over that. It, yeah. it runs islands, merfolk walk right over that. But their creatures deal damage in chunks of 3, 4, and 5 because of those lords, which get them out of range of fury. Solitude in the deck, not great at, in that deck, is not great at 1 for 1 in creature decks. You can yeah. do a lot of good things with those decks. They beat Omnath, and I think we might actually, I'm hoping we actually start to see a downturn in Omnath because of the rise in popularity of these lord-based creature decks and their ability to exploit a deck that can't really handle that. Yeah. Scapeshift kind of rises from the ashes, I hope, and takes the mantle of where Omnath is and just becomes this longer game deck. This is kind of yep. your end boss. It has a great removal suite. And as such, it is a draw to yeah. to play. It not as a match result. So picking up your playsets, like you pointed out, is going to be really important for the upcoming modern season, especially with the opportunity to just see this downtick in Omnath. What might actually be pushing people away from the format? Maybe there's something Watsy wants to do with the format ahead of time, like you alluded to, before we get to a modern season. They just put Luris on an angel. I mean, yeah. obviously that card wasn't a real problem, but metagame didn't change. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, so, as, as somebody who enjoys the card Scapeshift, I think you should always keep that thing on you. Always keep a set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after that, I, I think it's 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 a great look for a, a playsetter too, because there's going to be that person. They'll shelve yep. it, but they'll always come back. I mean shit when they push when they printed wish i played gruel scape shift with the forest and the sideboard sideboard to wish for like people yeah. will do anything to cast scape shift profitably trust me good card as yeah. a jun player i hated it uh yeah because you can't thought seize a land yeah that, yeah it's, it's it sucks that's a you problem yeah <laughs> that's, a you that's problem. why i started playing rock because i got Eight strip mines. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, crumble to dust is a good card. So is sowing salt. I get it. You have eight yeah. of them now. That's why I stopped playing Tron. <laughs> That's like I only have four towers. You have eight removal spells that exile all of them. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks for me. But experiment crash does not suck for you, and that's my pick. Oh. <laughs> so uh, experiment crash is a card I've been watching since uh, June. I added it to my list in June twenty twenty one. Card Kingdom was buying sixteen at a dollar eighty TCG market, and there were about seven three seventy three Nearman LP at three eighty four. Right now, Card Kingdom is buying more for less. They're buying twenty five at a dollar fifty, and TCG player is more more and more one hundred and eighteen for four twenty eight. So what's going on? Why is TCG going? Yeah, TCG going up. Card Kingdom going down. Uh, open market hits, Dominaria United pops out and starts pushing prices on this card as people move in slowly. Card Kingdom doesn't see the same rush because we are in the beginning stages of what I think is going to be a push to this card. And we're hoping for an adjustment. Uh, Experiment Kraj is an interesting card from Dissension. It really speaks to kind of what Simic wanted to do, which is play with plus one, plus one counters in that set. And it's a 4-6 for two colorless, two green, and two blue. It's a legendary creature that I honestly forgot about. And the, the key part is here is that Experiment Krage has all activated abilities of each other creature with a plus one, plus one counter on it. 
then you can tap it and put a plus one plus one counter on target creature and i don't care about that activated ability i care about the passive now commander playability of this card this is a duck on water and i think i picked a lot of these recently this plays into strategies that utilize plus one plus one counters just as a threat inside the deck and a redundancy piece however below the surface we see a lot of combo strategies utilizing creatures and activated abilities to basically suit up experiment crush with a litany of activated abilities and while this is available as a commander it is much more popular in the 99 by an order of magnitude so when we look at this from within the 99, we see that it's paired with a large swath of Simic and Sultai Generals, most with activated abilities, and this is our redundant copy, though a large number of them do present combo strategies. And if we take a look, it is kind of like a who's who of Simic on uh, EDH record. Let me hide that. Oh, wait, this is it. As a card. There we go, because I just said so. All right. So we're looking at Wreck, and we see Sakashima, which is your clone general. We see the Mimeoplasm, which is another clone uh, clone general we see Voral of the whole clay which plays into the plus one plus one strategy uh, we see volrath which is a sultai general and that is again a clone general but also a bit aggressive uh broadcast you get the idea prime speakers a gun etc right so again this just plays kind of all uh, all over and again uh, this plays into aggressive and controlling strategies but they're in the minority of what people want to do. People really want to clone stuff when they play this card. And it makes sense. And the combo builds that we see, they're fairly aggressively slanted in the sense that this doesn't appear in too many casual lists at the moment. They're actually just like high power decks. So I believe we're going to start seeing an upward trend in the quote unquote missing casual decks because of a new card in Dominaria United defiler of vigor and how easy and approachable placing counters on your creatures is now for those who want to know about defiler of vigor it's a regular rare domina dominary united it's one in the cycle and it is arguably like the best one Costs yeah two double green for a six six with trample cool as an additional cost to cast green permanent spells permanent spells you may pay two life those spells cost a green less to cast if you paid life this way this effect reduces only the amount of green mana you pay. Essentially uh, fixed Phyrexian mana, but you only get to pay yep. for one green pip that way. The important part is the triggered ability. Whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. So that's it. With Defiler of Vigor out and Experiment Crash, a Lanwar Elf puts a counter on everything and now your experiment crash has the activated ability of everything. everything so i expect crash to finally appear on the plus one plus one counters theme page on rec on rec in really short order it's not there now i expect it to be soon i do want to make a note on color pairing though when i was writing this i really expect this to be in band strategies because that has uh shalai voice of plenty or whatever it is from Dominaria last year that has the Gavany Township activated yep. abilities. And while the band strategy does exist, it's just not nearly as popular in the counter scheme overall as base Simic or Sultai is. And that's Sultai with and without a partner. Because some things get a little funny when you're looking at like Sakashima. They, they've got a yeah. partner, right? Now, for a timeline, we'll go back to stocks. We missed the initial bump on this. 
around Ikoria from now, but it's been a steady trend going upward. So, again, coming in from Ikoria to now, we didn't see a whole lot of increase in price, but that's about when I put it on here. We saw the decrease in price in Card Kingdom. We did see that drop, though, around Ikoria because it was printed in a guild kit. That kind of trucked us on really being able to, to sell out in time if this demand were to start like six months prior to Ikoria. But I do think that helps us out here because that reset the floor and allows us to buy in pretty cheaply. So as people pick up their copies of Defiler of Vigor, I expect to see a change in slope on Kraj after that. And from there, we're just off to the races. And I believe that will be within the next few weeks, maybe a month. And as this is a redundancy piece, not a main part of any particular combo engine, people will move to the engine first. They'll build their engines, then they'll fill yep. in the redundancy and, refi and refinement aspects of those combos. That's what we're waiting on. We're waiting for, for people to get here, and we want to beat them to it. They'll get here eventually. We just want to make it ahead of them. From a reprint equity standpoint, I, overall, I see this as a design template. They aren't inclined to reprint as they've had the opportunity to do so twice yeah. as we return to Ravlocks. And instead, they've chosen to do something else with Simic and a counters theme. There was Evolve and Return to Rav, and I honestly couldn't tell you what they did the last time. Ascend? No, that was... Ixalan? Yeah, Ascend was Ixalan. Uh, it was something counter-related. Yeah. I just don't remember exactly. what it was. Exactly. It was not yeah. great. Yeah. Um, I think the, the Guild Kit style of reprint seems the most likely place, as this is a bit hard to support in main or supplemental draft sets. Like, we've seen Graft, which was part of the original Rav block. Yeah. In oh yeah, it was Graft and Evolve, yeah. And then something yeah. else. And yeah. Graft was in one of the in the modern masters with Karn Lib. Like yeah. it worked. Karaj doesn't quite work in there. So I I think it's in this weird spot, like Guild Kit style, or maybe like a dual deck or something. So I yeah. think it's a really low uh there's really low reprint equity on this. Again, it's also a legendary creature. It's experiment Karaj, it's not experimental. Crash. It's not a thing. It's got a name. This might actually just be tied to the Simic Guild on Rav. Not 100% about that. Yeah. yeah, it is tied specifically to the Simic Guild on Rav. So, yeah. Uh, so. Probably really low. Maybe a secret lair, which is obviously the caveat for everything we um, pick now, because who knows. But yeah. I, I would have thought we would have seen it in the Fibblethip one. Or uh, I, ha I just looked at it. You ooze, you lose. Um, yeah, the ooze, you lose would have been another yeah. great one because it's literally an ooze mutant. Yeah, exactly. Ooze, you lose. Secret of the ooze. Um, there, there are so many good names for that thing. They, they chose none of them, and they did not put this in there. You got Necrotic yeah. Ooze, which is good. Uh, by quantity, I have a few of these from buying collections just over time because, again, this is from Dissension, so anybody who's been playing had nothing to do with this card. It was just sitting there rotting. So yeah, they had a price for a while, it, it hit $2, $3, so I was picking them up. Probably in the neighborhood of four, and I'll be looking to pick up another eight to round out a dozen. And I would expect to move, I think, at least four locally in trade, and the rest I'll set aside for later, most likely buy list. And four seems like a really weird number, but I honestly don't think I have that many players locally that really want to do the kinds of stuff that Experiment Crash lets you do. Because, again... Yeah. Even though I do believe that the combos are going to get more casual, I think the file or vigor might just turn into this really sour card. 
and it is kind of dependent on that. You, yeah. Again, you can go Bant, but that's not that popular. But I think in the interim, Defiler of Vigor is going to do a lot for Experiment Krage. And I think four is going to be my sweet spot. It just feels like there's already a lot of ire for this card, and there might just be soft banned. So I don't yeah. want to blow the doors off and get a you know infinite of them to loot to move locally. When I think I might get hoisted if I'm looking to trade them out. If your local meta seems to be more welcoming for something like this, then by all means, I'd look to move them all in trade and pick up as many as you could because I just think this is going to be a card people aren't used to seeing in binders. And by the time they get yeah. around to reading it, especially if you put Defile or Vigor and Kraj next to each other in your trade binder, boy, howdy. Yeah, you that's fire. something I would expect to be, oh, well, let me pick up both of them. Yeah, while I'm here. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing to me, and I didn't realize this till I just started looking when you mentioned it, I could have sworn this had a foil reprint at some point. There, It's literally just Dissension. Yes. That's the only foil printing. So yeah. across TCG... Card Kingdom, Star City. There are sub twenty foil copies. Yep. Uh, All less than thirty dollars. Yeah. Then you go over to MKM. There's ten copies, about maybe eleven, twelve, uh, for less than thirty euros, which is the same as thirty dollars. So this is something that if you wanted to go like higher end and go for the you know like a few foils instead. I don't know how you lose with that. Yeah, it's just a waiting game. Uh, CK yeah. is buying set foils at seventeen fifty, twenty two seventy five in in trade. It's it's just a waiting game. It's not like we missed the boat on this for foils. No, not at all. Even the only concern is uh, the churn rate uh, on this yeah. stuff. I, like I said, yeah. I'm looking. I would look to move them into to trade first and buy this later after people really move in. It's not a barn burner. For the last couple of cards, I've had sales velo data, and this is just kind of like slow and plotting it's not yeah. like miserable but you know in the last seven days we've only seen two days worth of sales on near mint copies and we're looking at two total yeah. and 64 copies in the last four months for this card and they have not been since uh the defiler cycle was spoiled it's all yeah just been sporadic again i do expect this to change in time as people pick up their defilers of vigor first because that is the card you need before yeah. this really begins to take over but once you get past that hurdle then it's game on so i don't know how long that's going to take dmu is available now as i was making my pick we had not hit release weekend yet and we are recording on the tuesday after release so monday yeah. we ran over to tuesday i expect somewhere in the next couple of weeks like i said this is this is where it it picks up and having these on hand in time to trade is really re where you want to be. And then you can just tuck the, the rest away for later to buy a list. Exactly. So. Solid. Dig it. Thank you. Anything else? No, not for this week. So I believe that's going to end our episode and we will be back next week to discuss more interesting magic uh, finance and vendor related things. Yeah. But until then, we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube. If you want to get in touch with touch with us, you can message us on Twitter or Facebook at that top level account or individually. I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.